0: You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another edition of Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Heather Jamieson from Geological Sciences and Geological Engineering and Environmental Studies here at Queen's University, and two of her students, Kirsten Maitland and John Oliver, about how Queen's geologists have helped solve the mystery of how arsenic got into the soils around Yellowknife. Welcome, Heather, Kirsten, and John. Thank you. Thank you. wonderful to have you all here today. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your areas of research. Heather, can we start with you?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm an environmental geochemist. I work mostly on the environmental impact of of mining and um, that includes quite a lot of research done with, with graduate students in the Yellowknife area. That's been going on for over 20 years. Kirsten and, and John were, were part of that effort. And um, yes, I should mention that they, they've graduated. They have their, their masters um, <clears throat> from Queens and have gone on to uh, as
0: professionals in their field as they can explain. Wonderful, all right. And let's hear from Kirsten.
2: Hi, thank you for having us here today. Um, so I graduated from geological engineering, uh, but I was always drawn to the environmental sciences as well. So I approached Heather in my final year, my undergrad and asked her if there is an opportunity for me to continue on Um, in the department and learn more about environmental geochemistry. Uh, So I completed my master's with Heather and now I'm currently working for Golder Associates as an environmental scientist uh, with their contaminated sites team. So I'm continuing to do a lot of the same stuff that I uh, did for my master's thesis at Queen's.
0: Well, that's great. Congratulations to you. And John, let's hear from you.
3: Hey, thanks for having us. Um, I got on heard about Heather and her research when I was working for uh, Golder actually in Calgary and uh, made the move to Kingston and studied uh, arsenic and soil and uh, spent a lot of time in Yellowknife and that was a really interesting project. I'm happy to, happy I got to work with Heather on it. I graduated in uh, 2018 from Queens and since been working with Dylan Consulting in uh, New Brunswick and similar to Kirsten doing a lot of the same stuff as I did with my master's.
0: Well, and congratulations to you too, fantastic. So now let's go back to the actual topic at hand, the the contaminated soils, arsenic in the soils around Yellowknife. Can you tell us a little bit about first, maybe the natural environment and landscape around Yellowknife? What's it like there? Well,
1: it's part of the Canadian Shield. So there are, rocky uplands, and between them, there are forested uh, areas um, in in the area around the the, um, city of Yellowknife, which uh, has 20,000 people. And we, John and Kirsten sampled within 30 kilometers. um, And they were very careful to design their uh, sample sites and and collect the samples in a variety of of, Landscapes, which I maybe they can describe
0: in more detail. All right, John and and uh, Kirsten, let's hear from you.
3: Sure. Uh, the samples we, like where we collected, we focused on were mostly in outcrops where the soil is very shallow um, and there's very little tree cover. Um, and we also focused on areas that were completely forested, where there's no outcrops and the soil tend to be a lot thicker and deeper. And uh, Kirsten can speak to the peatlands that she focused on. Okay.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. We also did. I, well, I did a little bit of sampling as well in uh, peatland areas, which were kind of lower elevation, um, in some of the depressions between some of these forested and more rocky outcrop areas. Um, but those were kind of the three main landscapes. We also. Did we had to kind of create a fourth category while doing our our theses as well? Um, because some of the outcrop areas were quite large, and so they would also be covered with forested canopies as well. So that was kind of a fourth fourth one that we looked at.
0: Okay. Now, can we move on to to discussing some of the human interventions, including mining and ore processing around the Yellowknife area? Let's hear more about the industry in the region.
1: Well, gold mining started uh, in the actually in the late, very late 30s, uh, and uh, the the two large mines closed in the early 2000s. Although there's exploration uh, exploration going on now, and, and possibly uh, a new gold mine to operate. the The nature of the mineralization is that uh, they had to roast the ore to liberate the gold, um, and in in the early days, particularly the 1950s, um, the the, there were very little emission control on, on the stack emissions from those roasters. And so most of what we see in the landscape that John and Kirsten sampled is legacy contamination from, from that time. That's, that, that's what we believe, because we know it's been documented that 20,000 tons of, of arsenic was released uh, from the giant mine and about 2,500 from from the con mine nearby and these mines are very close just thinking back to the landscape again they, the city really grew up there were communities there before but the city grew up as a response to the development of the gold mines so so they are they're, they're practically in town and, and some of the sampling um that uh, that we did we were trying to find areas that were undisturbed um by later activity post mining activity or mining uh, other than the, the receiving the um, uh, the uh, stack emissions so uh, that was could be challenging when you're close to town and in town and, and I know uh, uh, Kirsten did some sampling uh, on Delo, which is uh, one of the communities uh, from the Yale-Night-Denny First Nation and, and you worked with people in town right to do that
2: sampling yeah and, and yeah yeah Fred Red Sangres took me around and uh, yeah, we went through DLO and he uh, pointed out areas that he thought would be a good place for me to take some samples and we did the same down in Detta as well. But it was difficult in those areas to find undisturbed soil Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of it had been developed Mm -hmm. and you're right in the community. So, Mm -hmm
0: so i'm i'm kind of curious as to how the problem of high levels of arsenic and soil came to be discovered what what had tipped people off including yourselves in the first place that there might be an issue
1: well it had it had been known for a long time or, or there had been reports uh but but this is, this is where john and kirsten's work made made uh, such inroads is is it was known that the total amount of arsenic in the soils near the, the community of, of Yellowknife and near the former the, uh, mines uh, was high back as, as far as 1970. But the, the challenge was that it's, there was a possibility it was high because of the gold mineralization because gold and arsenic tend to go together. Um, so differentiating between what could be described as natural arsenic and the, the anthropogenic arsenic, the arsenic that's a result of mining activities and, and is really a, a contamination, that had not been done uh, until they started. Uh, we'd done a little work on the mine property, but when then they started to work in the region, uh, that was uh, when they could distinguish the presence in particular of uh, arsenic trioxide, which wouldn't form naturally in that environment. So that's our, our fingerprint of the stack emission uh, um, contamination.
0: Okay, thank you for that. So now, for those of us who aren't scientists, but are aware that arsenic is uh, actually, I guess, poisonous, what dangers do high levels of arsenic actually present to the environment, in particular the soil? And critically, what dangers might arsenic also present to the nearby communities, including the Yellowknife Dene First Nation? Well, this way is
1: where communication with other people is so important, and I think where, where we, uh, it, from the very beginning, we've been linking to uh, other agent government agencies in the region um, and with the First Nations community. So, to evaluate how dangerous it is, you need to do a risk assessment, and that's that's beyond our expertise, like, we're geochemists. We provide this, and it was a lot of work that, that these students did. I, I had never had a project with so many samples. So that information is really critical for the people who do the risk assessment, the people who make policy decisions and communicate policies for the, the communities themselves or people who live in the area. Uh, to, to make their decisions. So, so I think that's where the contribution is. You know, we've got some important science It's based on a lot of samples, carefully done and analyzed. And, um, you know, one thing in particular is a previous guideline, uh, well, the previous background, this is another part of the recently published paper, the previous natural background was assumed to be quite high, like much higher in the Yellowknife area than the rest of Canada. And I guess that was ascribed to this this association with gold mineralization. But what our data shows is that's not true. That was based on um, a sample set that were mostly contaminated samples. So our new calculated natural background for the Yellowknife region is much closer to the rest of Canada much closer to, to the national guidelines for soil. So, so by providing that information uh, to, to thing, people like the government of the Northwest Territories, um, they are to the best, uh, from what we understand, reviewing their guidelines. So, so the policy is being reconsidered.
0: Okay, all right. So now maybe John, we can start with you. Let's hear a little bit more about the art of the science, if you will, we, you touched, both of you touched on uh, collecting some samples. Let's hear more about what you do in the field on the day-to-day business, and and then also maybe what happens in the labs too.
3: Sure, so we have aluminum cores. They are about 30 centimeters in length, and we would drive them into the ground, either push them with our hands or a sledgehammer, uh-huh. and some of the sh- soils were only 10 centimeters deep. So we had to cap it off there. We cut the two. We put uh, this like kind of a cellophane wrap on either end, freeze it, and then ship it back to Queens. So we you know we collect 10 or 12, or depending on the day, 20 samples a day. Um, and then uh, when we were back in Queens, we got them cut in half the aluminum tubes. And then we were able to, to kind of look at the soil profile and describe the soil and uh and then we cut off the top five centimeters so whether there's like leaf litter or twigs we took all that material because that's what's considered the public health litter mm-hmm. that's the top five centimeters and is, that's what the public is, is exposed to mm-hmm. so we took that uh five centimeters we sent that off to the lab to get analyzed and then uh, they gave us the, the total arsenic so all, of all the arsenic species in that sample what the total arsenic value was and then from there, we assessed which samples we would do the, the detailed mineralogy on. Um, and then, so to do the detailed mineral mineralogy, we had to make little pucks. Um, they're little; they actually look like a little tiny hockey puck. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put that in a scanning electron microscope, and that will make a map of all the soil grain, all the like individual grains that are in the sample. And then we can use a software that will tell us based on the spectrum what those greens are and that's how we identified arsenic dioxide did i miss anything kirsten
2: no you pretty well that's pretty much the whole process
3: Um,
1: you know what was left out maybe is you had to do some paddling and camping to get to your sites that
2: is true true. yes we did i did spend um i did an overnight trip to go up north and so we did some Uh, We packed all of our gear into a canoe and hit the lakes. (laughs) And and I remember, yeah, we were, um, we were a little nervous about bears, but we didn't see any the entire time. (laughs) So, so that was good, but no, it was an awesome experience. We got to basically hang out uh, doing really cool science around Yellowknife. And we were outside all day. We were hiking. We saw lots of awesome, um, yeah, just lots of awesome landscapes.
3: And it was a really, really awesome experience. Probably the best, one of the best parts of the project doing the field work and traveling the, the landscape that a lot of people might not even see. And I get to fly a, a helicopter for some of
0: the areas. All right, so um, and what do you think the overall impact is uh, f- uh, of this research uh, to further uh, research in this field, uh, let alone furthering uh, the methodology too? What do you think?
3: Sure. Um, For the research, I think, as Heather alluded to, like, we're not a risk assessor, so I think that can be another area of research. And um, also maybe uh, looking at people's individual gardens or, like, like, where people spend their time and, like, associate and, like, assess the arsenic concentrations in there. and, And, again, with, like, the risk assessment side of it to see, like, where are people spending their time and like what's the actual risk of that with, uh, for people?
1: I, I could, uh, I mean, John did, did mention gardens and that's been, uh, you know, questions have, have been raised for years by Yellowknife residents because uh, they have a short but intense summer and they grow some great vegetable gardens. So we are involved with a project and that's happened since John and Kirsten left Queens. It's a new project. We don't really have any results yet. Um, on garden soil and actually garden vegetables um, and, and trying to provide some answers to the questions. Um, the, uh, it's a, so that's, that's a really um, important new direction. The only thing that has happened more recently, which is another way I think this research can be used is that the Yellowknife Dene First Nations has actually requested from the federal government an apology and compensation for um I have the exposure from the um from the gold mining in the area so we uh, we we have consistently communicated with them and, and they may find this useful too
0: okay all right so anything else to add before we close today
3: i, I don't think i had anything i'm just was happy for the opportunity to work on this project and the fact that our research could change uh, guidelines that, you know, is important for public health is, uh, uh, makes me feel pretty proud.
2: Great, Kirsten. Yeah, I would say that that was one of the most um, rewarding parts of the project was being able to be a part of something that people actually really do care about Um, and being up in Yellowknife and talking with members of the community and really seeing how much this all matters to them um, and their interests because they wanna protect themselves and they wanna know you know, like which areas are safe and which might not be so safe. Uh, And I think that the fact that we're still having this conversation today and that um, they are doing more studies, like risk assessments in the area to determine if there is better background concentration they can be uh, using to gauge their remediation efforts, I think that that's pretty cool. And it's neat that we were able to be a part of it. So.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And Heather, last words. Well,
1: I was really glad to hear John and, and Kirsten talk about how they appreciated being up north. Because I think you know, it's a really important part of my job as a supervisor of graduate students to provide these opportunities for them. And because I do a lot of work in the Northwest Territories, I've been able to bring up mm, probably you know, over 20 students over the years. To see a part of Canada that they they might not um, have seen before, and uh, so I'm really uh, glad to hear that they appreciated that part of it.
0: All right, and and wouldn't uh, just on a final note, I wonder what drew you to your research initially, Heather, to the Yellowknife region? Why Yellowknife? Um,
1: well, I grew up in a mining community, not. There. I grew up in Northwestern Quebec and we're on Naranda. Illinois is quite a lot like it in some ways. And uh, I had been interested in arsenic because it's very interesting geochemically. Um, so there, there were opportunities and, and support. The, uh, the uh, Giant Mine Remediation Team, the Northwest Territories Geological Survey um, other agencies up there have have been supportive. I, I actually have worked in aside from Giant in about, I think, a half a dozen mines uh, in the Northwest Territories. I have students working, uh, hopefully getting to the field um, in, in both Yellowknife and several other places in the Northwest Territories in, in uh, the summer, if all goes well.
0: Well, we hope so. Well, thank you very much, folks. We have been chatting with Dr. Heather Jamison and two of her former students, Kirsten Maitland and John Oliver, graduates of the Geological Sciences and Geological Engineering Master's Program. Thank you all for joining us today to talk about how arsenic got into the soils around Yellowknife. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks.
2: Thank you.